We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal fans wanted to be reminded of better times, and we were, just not in the way you think. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, like, we we are starting to have a longing for better times. As as silly as it sounds at times when we would finish top four and be in the Champions League and, and, and be at the top table in Europe. And so we got a little reminder of that. A reminder of the days when Didier Drogba used to bully Senderos. Uh, because Lukaku did it to Pablo Marie. So that's a reminder of better times. Maybe not the good part of those better times, but hey, we will take what we can get right now. And what we can get is each other. We are here together, and that is uh, the best thing we've got. We're back at the Emirates. The fans were in good voice. We'll hear from Clive and Tim who were there, what that was like. I think it is interesting, to say the least, um, you know, to, to try to contextualize how to analyze these games. And I, I want to say something right off the bat here before I introduce everyone. It is important to try to provide the most clear-eyed analysis of what's going on as possible. And that means taking into account the very challenging situation of missing five or six starters, many of whom were ruled out late at the last minute, and facing Europe's, you know, arguably best team, probably not the best team, but the European champions, certainly, uh, with Lukaku added. Yeah, that's, that's not a good situation. And yet, I absolutely am not here for discrediting or dismissing anyone who feels angry, who feels hurt, who feels upset at what's happening at Arsenal. The new season is supposed to be about hope, right? The new season is supposed to be when you're at your happiest, when everything feels possible. A two-game losing run, one of which comes to European champions middle of the season. Okay, we'd still probably lose our rag, let's be honest. But like, this is when we're supposed to still have that joy and that, that excitement of the new season. And so I can understand if some people just aren't ready to contextualize, aren't ready for the excuses of why we're here with no points from our first two games and no goals scored because it hurts. So we'll do our best to balance that feeling of hurt. I think Andrew on the Arscast really, really explained it well, that feeling of understanding why we are where we are, where we are, but not necessarily being able to totally embrace that feeling that this is okay somehow or that this is understandable. So those are complex emotions we're going to try to, to sort through today doing the best analysis we can of the football, while also understanding that some of the emotion is absolutely natural. 
You know, I don't think it's right to tell anyone they're wrong to feel sad or angry or upset just because some players were missing. Tim's here. He's on Twitter at Stoberta. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. We, um, we have our 500th episode in, uh, coming soon, next week, in fact, and we will be uh, really launching the most important thing we do here, which is our fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation uh, and Save the Children uh, through the, the Arsenal Foundation. And we'll have uh, guests from the Arsenal Foundation on to talk about it and hopefully some other uh, pretty exciting guests to come on and, and talk about Arsenal and also the, the fundraiser. But that'll be kicking off next week and running all next month. And we're going to try to double what we did last year. So I'm really excited to do that. I will also say that through your uh, love and support and, and just being amazing people, we have uh, now been nominated as finalists for the FCAs for Best Podcast. Uh, if you look at my pinned tweet or the podcast pinned tweet, you can just click a link and tweet out what it writes, and that'll vote for us. Or you can go to the FCA's website and vote there. And while you're at it, you should vote for Tim, who's also nominated uh, Best Content Creator for Women's Football. He uh, absolutely is that and deserves not only that nomination, but that award. So thank you so much, everyone. When we say we love you, we mean it, and uh, it's great to feel the love in return. So let's get on to the harder stuff, which is talking about Arsenal. I guess I don't want to do 20 minutes on what it was like to be back at the ground because I think there's so much to discuss here, and we've kind of already touched on that a little bit. But Clive, you were there, and I'm just curious, you know, if it hit a little differently seeing it in the ground, you know, feeling the energy in the stadium. I thought the Emirates was doing pretty well. Tim made a really sensational point off mic that I'll ask him about on mic when when uh, when we come to him. But just in terms of being there and seeing it up close, did it change your interaction with it at all? Uh, I was keen to go, uh, even though you knew you were walking to your funeral, right? I was still keen to go, and and as soon as I, I, I come into Finsley Park Overground and. Um, Straight to the twelve pins, mobbed inside and out, uh, just mobbed like the old times, right? Every inch of that floor covered. Everyone singing, watching Manchester United losing until they equalised, just like normal times. Set up a bit early because of the sort of they advised us to. And I got in the ground, and and everyone seemed to be in the same mood. <laughs> I hope Tim concurs, but I felt the crowd were really up for it and really wanted to support the team. But everybody in the back of their mind sort of sensed this could go bad. But you know what? I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to ignore that part of my brain. The fact I'm back here talking to people that I normally see, I'm in my same pubs, I'm in there drinking, I'm having a laugh, I'm eating food, it's way too expensive, and pretending I enjoy it. And basically, that's what we do when we go. And um, and I just felt we embra- everyone embraced that, but in the back of their minds, knowing that we have to deal with something called the football. And... So you see a team sheet, you look around and you look at them and you think, okay, we have a problem coming. And so I felt that. I felt a level of support, but I also felt if you were there, there was lots of what everyone's on the online saying, but they were saying it under their chins really quietly, like, you know, it was a bit like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, he's crap, he's crap. Oh my God, what's happening? Oh, can someone cover him? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a bit like that rather than outright um, abuse, if you know what I mean. No, I, I I take your point, and I think then I'll stay with you just for a second, Clive. I mean, the 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 news that nobody will have wanted to see was the absence of Ben White, and I'm curious if you think that it would have been Ben White for one of the two center backs, or if it might have been what he needed, what he felt he needed to match them up with a back three. Well, then, yeah. Well, I mean, it's guessing, I, obviously. I'm guessing. I know what I would have done. <laughs> I mean, it was a dereliction of duty not to match up their system, in my opinion. However, I have a back three bias. So some people will say, no, Clive, it's not the system. It's the manager, it's the players, or it's whatever. 
but I don't care. You send your players out the best chance to succeed. The best chance to succeed was not in that system, in my opinion. And um, I would have hoped that maybe, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, you know what? I don't know. I generally don't know what he'd have done, but it would have been nice to at least match them up in the central zone and the outside zones. And I'm sure we'll get onto that as we, as we Yeah, as we well, one of the advantages you get when you're in the ground, Tim, is that you can see the whole pitch, or <laughs> depending on which ground you're in and which seat you have. Uh, but you have fantastic seats, as you have told us in the past. And so I'm assuming you can see the whole pitch. And I'm just curious if you could make out what we were trying on our left defensive flank better than I could. I mean, I think watching on TV, what you don't know is like, is Saka just not doing his defensive job? Is Tierney just getting sucked in? Or is someone supposed to drop in? Was Shaka supposed to be going over there? Um, you know, I it's hard with the field of view you have on TV to make out the plan. And as a result, you jump to the conclusion that there was no plan. I'm curious if your pitch bird's eye view gave you any better sense of what the plan was on the left flank or if it was equally mysterious. No, not really, no. Um, and Reese James was down my side in the first half, so that was good fun. The, you couldn't do anything about that? Maybe go, uh, Mar- <laughs> what was it, o- Nice Ultras style on him or something? Well, actually, where Tim sits, he's probably closer to Reese James than any of our players on the pitch. Yeah. Right? So, no, uh, touche. Clive, Clive, I, I, do, I do the joke interruptions. Come on, man. <laughs> Not the funny ones, to be fair. <laughs> but I, I think, so essentially what happened, I think, I think, it, was, um, I think it was two things that happened. One of them was a soft factor, and we were terrified of Lukaku. That's something that you you feel in a ground. Um, I, I mean, it, it probably came across on TV, but you really, really see it in the ground. Every time he got the ball, everyone panicked. Um, and I, in fact, I don't even think it was like even the fact because sometimes you get like the fans, you get that nervous energy off the fans. I don't even think it came from there. I think Arsenal were just terrified to be facing him. And uh, I mean, justifiably so, because he's a brilliant player. Um, but I, I think essentially my read of what happened is that Arsenal, it's the blanket analogy again, you know, that you can't, you, you're always left exposed somewhere. And essentially mm. what's happening with Arsenal is where, or I think what happens a lot, I think basically our midfield three just got pulled apart like wet tissue paper because Smith Rowe, is trying to mark, like Chelsea play with two deep midfielders. So Smith Rowe is trying to mark both of them in Jorginho and Kovacic, and they just knocked the ball around him, took him out of the scenario. And then Xhaka was doing that tucking in at centre-back thing. So then it's just poor Lukonga all on his own in midfield, like looking around thinking, fucking hell, have I got to cover all this space? And it was so easy for Chelsea to find Lukaku. to like There was just no block to that ball at all. And I think what happened particularly, well, for both goals, I think what happened was that the ball got to Lukaku so easily and then everyone panicked and just like, and Tierney was going over to him because he could see that Mari was struggling and probably a trust issue there as well. And again, a justifiable one. He probably thought, I, I don't think he's going to win this. I've got to go over and help. And that obviously leaves um, a big kind of space for Reese James. But, I do have to say, as bad as we are at that and as easily as our midfield gets pulled apart and we become disorganised, Chelsea are like... Um, I can't remember which football tactician it was. It might have been Val- Valery Lobanovsky, uh, the Dynamo Kiev guy, who described like um, your team should be like an accordion in terms of it should contract and then go like, you know, almost like a set of lungs, go in and out and in and out. And that's what Chelsea do so well. When you've got the ball... 
those wing backs are it's like it's a midfield four like those wing backs are they get really really narrow and they clog up the middle but when they've got the ball they get out wide again and they just pull you apart and they've just got this this really kind of nice rhythm about them and they keep their spaces nice and close together with those two defensive midfielders and the in almost not quite midfield diamond but like yeah the, those those wing backs they they tuck in and then they go out very very quickly and very very effectively and I do think Chelsea will pull most teams apart that way. I think they were doing it last season. They just didn't have the guy to get on the end of things. And now they've just spent a hundred million on him. So um, yeah, I think they're going to win the league, but that's that, I guess that's besides the point from an Arsenal perspective. I, I, I just think we had no answer. Essentially. We had no answer. We were trying to cover gaps and we were trying to play according to our weaknesses. We, we were trying to cover weaknesses um, essentially, and it, it just left holes um, all yeah. over the pitch. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And I, I think it was a good opening 15 minutes that we might get to, but I, I think this was the story of the game, and that's why I'm leading with it, because it was such a confusing period. I, I want to just give you the chance, Tim, in like three sentences or less to make the point you made to me off mic, though, because I think it's a good one. With the Emirates being full and the fans back, you know, there is sometimes this comment of like, oh, we have the worst fans, or the fans are terrible, or they inhibit the team, or they scare the team, and like, Obviously not the case today, but actually you made this point last season, there were no fans uh, and we, we got to see just the difference that makes and it wasn't good, was it? Yeah, exactly. I, I think it, it's just a thing people say, um, particularly if they they don't feel like they want to criticize the team or the manager, they transfer it to the fans. And look, you know, sometimes fans can be annoying. Sometimes people can be annoying, but that, that certainly wasn't the case yesterday. And yeah, last season, did we have the worst home record that we've had in like yep. 70 years or something? Or yeah, And, and yep. that was without fans. So so really that that kind of, oh, I wonder if, and, and it's not just from Arsenal fans. I've seen it from pundits who should know better as well. Going, oh, may, maybe playing in front of the fans is a problem. And it's like, hmm, if only we just had a season with no fans to see how that would work out. So... Um, yeah, that like that that whole discourse has just got to be set on fire and put in a bin, quite frankly. Yeah, turns out when the stadium was empty, we played a lot worse there. So yeah, I mean, it, it sort of disproves the point once and for all. Paul, the the left flank thing is interesting. I mean, I, I I worry sometimes that when you see something confusing, that instead of saying what happened, you wind up saying what you think maybe was happening. You know, like I'll I'll start to sort of post hoc explain it. So like one of the things I came up with is just. Marie was following Lukaku around. He was just man-marking Lukaku, trying to stay as close to him as he can, which we can get on to why that's a bad idea. And that Tierney's role was to tuck in to sort of cover that nominal left center back space as Marie followed Lukaku around. But obviously that means there's no one covering Reese James. And I have to admit, Clive always says that the back three is actually taking away a defender, adding an attacker. And I've always been, well, it can be this, can be that. Yesterday it was so clear to me more than ever how right Clive is about that because they had that extra attacker and we didn't have anyone in that zone. It's unclear to me whether it was meant to be Shaka or Saka. Saka certainly didn't look like it was meant to be him based on how he played, but maybe he just wasn't really up for it yet. I mean, I, I think we could come on to him at some point. Not not his best day, maybe not ready to be back. But the it's not just the way we vacated that flank. It was the ease with which they were able to get entry passes into Lukaku at the top of the box. You know, we find it so hard to access zone 14. You would think we would understand the ability to deny passes to it, but we couldn't. So do you think those two things go hand in hand? The fact that we made it so easy for them to get it to Lukaku, which made it easier for them to exploit the the space that James had pretty much unmarked. 
It's a confusing tactical plan when you think about it, because the only way you're going to stop the ball getting through to Lukaku and him being one-on-one versus one of our centre-backs is if you have a screen in front of him. And that screen would have to be Lukanga and uh, Chaka. And you think, okay, that could work. You have a, those two guys in front of, of uh, Lukaku holding down the midfield and you give up the wings, but then you have the center pretty compact. So when the ball goes out to, to Reese James, you can move over as a compact unit and kind of pivot over that way. But obviously our plan was that actually Chaka was to be in two places, maybe not at the same time, but in two moments just after each other. And you, you can maybe do that against a team that doesn't have good switch play and good movement. But I think Chelsea might have the best movement in Europe in terms of uh, where those guys buzz around to. They're going to pull you apart either way, whether you're compact or not. But if your model is already, the Chaka will be part of your screen part of the time, but also him and Tierney, depending on the play, uh, will alternate so the Chaka falls into the back line and Tierney pushes out or Tierney stays tight with Mount and Chaka moves out to meet Reese James. Like he's, he's probably the least mobile player in our team. So against Chelsea, that seems like a bad idea. <clears throat> and then on the other hand, you've left Lukonga as a one-man screen in front of Lukaka but that isn't even his job because he didn't do it once. He did it multiple times where he'll he'll push out to Kai Havertz when he drops deep. And so basically playing against Lukaku when he's one-on-one against Mari with, with a screen that is sometimes there but mostly not. Uh, Tim talked about how you bang the ball into Lukaku and, of course, that means the second centre-back is pulled across. Tierney and his man are pulled tighter. The Chaka's frozen in the midfield because, like, it's it's all around Lukaku. So if Lukaku can get a wall pass to Kovacic, all our team is now drawn into the middle. So that whole thing about Chaka drifting out and covering that wing doesn't happen. I think we saw time and time again because Lukaku was this, this central focus that he just pulled our team into the center, making the the, the width of the pitch be av- entirely available. I, I don't know how we thought we were going to play with and without. It was Schrodinger's screen, right? Because <laughs> those two guys had other jobs. Lakonga, I saw him time and time again, pushing out to cover Havertz when Havertz was a little wide. And Chaka, as we know, was either going to drop into the back line or off to the left. So who was going to screen Lukaku? He was going to fucking kill us. He fucking killed us. And when yep. he did, when <laughs> and when you know when he didn't, it was the switch play, and we were just run ragged. And it was we kind of had a deceptive fifteen minutes at the start where we were knocking around and it was all fine and dandy. But the cord, the accordion thing, especially after they scored a goal and then quickly a second goal. Like we were just spread out across the pitch. So we had moments where we could ping it around. But basically, Chelsea's movement on top of our flawed plan for Chaka to be in two places in the at the one time meant they just ran rings around us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
just don't totally know what the system was. And this is where I think you can set aside the whole, well, we were playing without all these first team players, so on and so forth. Look, there is no denying that our best 11 probably loses to Chelsea's best 11, although we beat them twice last season. Um, But there's the question of whether you should be able to look at your team and see a plan that is coherent and sensible. Now, whether it's the plan that failed or the players that failed is a debate we can get into. But Clive, I think the plan certainly looked flawed. I mean, the the one thing I will say is, whoever told Pablo Marie, get as touch-tight to Lukaku as you can so that he can absolutely out-physical you and, and roll you and completely batter you all over the pitch, like, that made no sense. And it's very, very clear to me when we came out from halftime that Arteta had had a word with him because he dropped off that extra yard, and at least for a while, for the first 15 or 20 minutes of the half, we were keeping that threat under wraps, and then... Marie started to get sucked in again. And look, he's not a Premier League level player. That much is clear. And any player in the Premier League is going to struggle against Lukaku, let alone Pablo Marie. But you got to have a better plan. I mean, at 27 years old, you should know just the fundamentals of defending. And I think both as a team and individually, we were let down there. I think a back three certainly would have been the way to go to cover that space across the back line. Whether we had the right personnel to do it or not, I mean, I th- certainly think we could have used Tierney as a center back and Tavares as a left back. He did not to do that, but I don't know, Clive. Like the combination of the plan and just the individual performance there, both leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yep, yeah, you've nailed it. Really, I, I think I I don't mind losing a game of football. I I don't mind that at all. I don't yeah, like happened. being I don't I don't like being bullied, as you guys know, and I don't like us being stupid. That's the two things that normally get me get me going, and and we were both in this game. We were stupid not to respect them and their opposition and how they play. They positionally covered the pitch. Um, they didn't bother with our with um keeping people wing backs back because they didn't they weren't scared of our forwards. So that not only were their wing backs pushing forward, but Aspilicueta was pushing forward. This is the same Aspilicueta that Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Aubameyang twanged his hamstring in the cup final 18 months ago, right? So it shows you, I, we should be looking at him thinking we're going to run him. We've got no one to run him. We're not in shape to run him, you know? So there's no way that should be, that he should have such an easy day. The Lukaku thing, um, good player, entry pass not stopped. Shaka, I don't know where he was standing. Um, we we just were not set up to win this game or get anywhere close to it. We had to go back three. We had to go man on man. We had to make it a 1v1 battle and see where we go from there. Have a look at the game. By doing this, I think I think Arteta, who had a real... He's, he's been incredibly unlucky and there are all the excuses are out there. But don't be dumb. Be pragmatic. Have a look at them. No one's going to say anything if you change the system to manage this game. Other teams will go to a back three versus Chelsea. It's the best way to compete with them. You have to cover the pitch, depth and width. You can't leave people exposed to overload because they have got Alonso and James are monster athletes. They bound up and sound. It wasn't just the James side. Alonso had a great game on the left-hand side, in my opinion. And they bombed us back. They dominated us in wide areas. Alonso's tackling when he came inside and tucked in was excellent. They're ferocious in the challenge, and we have to go man to man, and we didn't do it. And I can't explain it, and I won't excuse it. It's wrong. It's wrong to send young men out there in a system which is failing them, and they can't 
They cannot impose themselves on the opposition. They cannot. And we've done it twice last year. When we played on Boxing Day, we went forward and back, but they had fought but fought the back. Excuse me. <coughs> and when we played them at Stanford Bridge, they had three at the back. We went three at the back. It's the best way. And he turned away from it. And I'm trying to find out why. When he had every excuse to lean into something that he's done before. And it comes back to my other point. I just feel we're misusing these resources. And that's the only thing that annoys me. We we are set up to be a back three team. We really are in this short period of time until everyone's healthy. Why don't we just do it? What are we gaining? All that's happening is the manager's losing people. He's losing people. And yeah. based on the things that he's supposedly quite intelligent on, and um, he's a good coach, supposedly, we, we can take the inexperience, but he's losing people on his strength, which is supposedly coaching. Well, and, and I got to say, Clive, that your line about being in the washing machine really stuck stuck out to me on this day because Arteta's been pretty good with at least positional discipline, organized play. You know, the team has looked pretty organized under him. Stale, stolid, but organized. And this looked disorganized. This looked unprepared. And if you want to say we're missing players, you can, but the left flank is essentially, ostensibly, Saka, who played 3,000 minutes last season under Arteta, Shaka, who's ever-present, and Tierney, who's our, you know, supposed to be our star left back. That's the left flank. You know, they, they didn't adjust. And he didn't adjust it, and we got slaughtered. I mean, Pablo Marie isn't good enough. He can't play with Lukaku. But what was happening down the left flank has nothing to do with Pablo Marie, unless you think Tierney's getting sucked in because he sees that Marie needs the help, or unless that was the plan, Marie to just follow Lukaku and Tierney gets sucked in. But n- n- there was a void on the left. Yeah, go ahead, Clive. Can I say one last thing? The way Pablo Marie defended, okay, he got bullied a little bit. But getting bullied in the four was really risky because it forced, as you guys have said, for... The players are looking around. They can see he's under stress. So they overcovered for him. Tierney overcovered. They had one forward. We had literally three defenders against him, just wondering what he was going to do. And then we had to expand. We couldn't expand quickly enough. If you have a back three, he can afford to do exactly the same thing. And our centre-backs are there. And the wing-back is now faced up one-on-one. So the style of defending for the system that we had was wrong. But to delay someone like that is not the worst thing in the world. But in the, the way we did it was just wrong. And it was systemic more so than what Pablo Marie and, and can and can't do. I sometimes think Arteta's asking too much of players because I Absolutely. think off the ball in our block, it was meant to be sort of a three with Tierney playing left center back, but there was no left wing back. Like it was all a little bit too clever by half and not nearly clever enough. Uh, and Tim, individually, there are some performances that, you know, leave you shaking your head. The Pablo Marie one, I don't know that there's much need left to analyze Pablo Marie. I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's good enough to be a fourth choice center back. I don't think he should be at the club, but like he is and and he's not very good. And that, you know, that can, that can happen. Ask Liverpool what you can be left with when you lose your first choice center backs as they did last season. So I don't know that a lot of attention is warranted there. I do think that the player that seems to wind up becoming such a focal point for debate, and I know it drives people nuts, is Granite Shaka. But it's because, first of all, he's been here so long and we're so used to him. And so maybe we see him so much more than we see other players. He's also the captain, the leader, the experienced guy, the guy we've re-signed supposedly for that experience. I don't know if you remember this, Tim. Uh, there was a moment early, and look, we're not good enough to complain about the refereeing. But make no mistake, the refereeing is bad. It was, It's been bad. It was bad this game. And early on, Tim Shaka doesn't get a call that he wanted, that he should have gotten. 
And about 30 seconds later, he goes flying in with a straight leg, nowhere near anybody. And, you know, I, social media was like, oh, it's going to be a red card day for Granite Shack. And it wasn't, thankfully. But that's sort of like losing your composure. You know, that that's something that you're, you know, your 20-year-olds are supposed to do, but not your, not your captain, not your leader. And I just thought on the day, maybe he was doing that hero thing Shaka sometimes does, where he tries to be everywhere and winds up not being where he needs to be. Almost like he, he wants too much to put out all the fires and be the hero. I, I don't know. Maybe that's giving him too much credit or not enough. But I, I thought his positioning in this game was a really weird one. And in light of Samby looking pretty impressive, albeit with the ball, and I, I think there are questions about what he does off the ball and defensively, there's going to be a big debate when Party comes back about who deserves to partner him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th- I think in this game, um, I, I mean, Xhaka, right, He we know that he can be led by emotions. And, and to be fair... I'm I'm not sure like you know yeah him kind of not getting a call and and getting a bit rattled like I do think that happens to most players regardless of their age and experience but I I think the thing is that there's an old saying something about your instincts um are great servants but not great masters and sometimes Shaka allows his instincts to be his master but I I think what happened really was he could see what was unfolding that Arsenal had this this big hole in midfield. So I think initially he was asked to sit almost in a, you know, as a third centre back or do that thing where he covers for Tierney. But, and then he could see that like Kovacic and Jorginho were just having like a whale of a time um, with only one player on them. And Lukonga was covering loads and loads of grass. Like, I think he could just see it unfolding and he didn't really know what to do about it. And I'm sure he maybe went a little bit rogue um, in terms of the manager's instructions. Not so much that, you know, that he rebelled or anything like that. But do you know what I mean? Sometimes you can just see how a game is going and it's like, oh my God, like Chelsea have just, yeah. you, you know when it, the other team's got the ball and they're just comfortable. And I, th- I think there was an element of frustration. There was an element of like, this can't continue. And and. It, assuming he was thinking that, I'm sure he was. He was right to think that, the kind of, right, the, the pattern of this game is bad for us because Chelsea are just knocking it around. And so something has to happen. But to be honest, it's difficult to know what that something is. I, I think the thing with, with again, this was this was Xhaka without party and it's, it's um, the Xhaka-Party partnership is starting, I think, Thing, even though we haven't seen quite enough of it, it's starting to remind me of the Cazorla Coquelin um, kind of partnership where you go, oh, that's quite a good partnership, but really it's not a 50 50 relationship at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I realize I'm putting quite a lot on party there because we haven't, we haven't seen him enough yet to say absolutely firmly that he's carrying the midfield or anything like that. I do think that's how it will shape up. And I think this, we need him to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. And and I just think this kind of um, and and look, I do expect this to improve a little bit when Erdgaard comes back, when Party comes back, and we've got a little bit more in the centre of the pitch. But this kind of Xhaka proxy left back, Tierney going up the left at the moment, it's all we've got, and it's so it a it's very predictable. B, it just results in crosses, which none like none of our players want crosses. Like we haven't got a single player in the squad who thrives on that kind of service. But it, what it's doing is it's just emptying the midfield because we're sitting Xhaka in this little like nook or cranny, like somewhere between 
third centre-back, left-back, it takes him away from the midfield. And that, for me, is a big problem at the moment. We just don't cover the grass there. And again, something you really see in the stadium, you look up and you go, like, the centre circle is empty. There's no one in it. And, like, one of our midfielders, usually not Xhaka, like his partner, be it Elneny or Party, whoever would be looking around thinking, shit, like, I need go-go gadget legs here or something because, like, <laughs> I, I can't cover all this ground. That, that to me, is a, a quite big and fundamental problem for Arsenal at the moment. They, they're not really even playing with two central midfielders. It's one and a half, and it's, it's not enough coverage. Yeah, and I, I don't know what the right fix is. And, look, I'm sorry to bring up Shaka because I know there are a lot of people that would say he's not the, nearly the worst thing on the day. He's not nearly our biggest problem. But midfield is so important, and he's such a big part of it. And it, it is an area where we... You know, we really need to improve. And I, you know, I think Sambi looks like an exciting player. I mean, Paul, I know you you have sort of been in the Discord over on the Patreon side in the wars a little bit about where the blame lies for some of of how we were exposed in this game. And I think you've felt that Lakanga might be getting a little bit of an easy ride, not in terms of what he does on the ball, which I think is really nice to see, but maybe in terms of his defensive positioning, which again, we're talking about a 21-year-old moving over from the Belgian league. So maybe a little bit of a caveat there but do you do you suspect that that side of his game may be more problematic than the attention it's getting or you know i mean is this is this a partnership issue what do you think um i did give him a hard time yesterday in his defensive off the ball work so match of the day as well I kind of felt somewhat vindicated with this. Their big thing on what Arsenal did wrong was that there was no screen in front of Lukaku. Um, And when you look at the individual incidents, you say, well, why isn't there somebody between there and there? And Chaka obviously is tethered to the left-hand side. So you say, well, at least Lukaku should be in position there, but why is he wandering off to take care of Havertz? But actually, that was just how we played. I, it wasn't a moment or a, a couple of moments or two or three moments where Lakanga kind of had a, a brain fart and chased out of position because he saw a threat somewhere else. That was how we were playing. So I kind of have to say I'll dial it back on Lakanga in this, in that, uh, I mean, I do, I do think he can, he, he's not going to have the same... Uh, sensitivity to where the danger is that somebody like Chaka, like I agree with Tim, I think Chaka was in a no-win situation yesterday against Chelsea. The movement was too good. He was given two jobs. He can't cover both areas. And after, after a little while, he realized there was danger where he was about to not be if he ran over to the left or whatever. And he then tried to do too much and ended up not doing much of anything. Um, Lukanga, I don't know. I think they left one guy to screen Lukaka in effect and also to push out to Havertz. I think that was the plan when there was danger there. So I, in the end, I'm going to say on this one, um, it's not really Lukanga for me. Um, and it's the tactics. Like we did not plan. Like plan A is have a screen stop the ball coming easily to Lukaku. And our plan wasn't that. It was have a screen and give the guys two other jobs. Um, Chaka to fall into the back line or or cover to the full back position on his left. Lukanga 
to screen, but also push out to get Havertz, which means literally nobody down the middle with Luka- uh, Lukaku, and it happened time and time again. <coughs> I, haven't got yeah. to, I haven't got to re-watching the second half, so I don't know what we did differently there. But in the first half, I dial it back on my criticism of Lukanga. Like, he wasn't where he needed to be, but I think almost like Chaka, we gave him at least a job and a half. Yeah, yeah, I, I think those midfielders just have too much to do at the moment. And look, if you want to set aside who the players are that are available, I think the best way I can summarize my feeling about this is I don't know that I expected us to win this game. I certainly didn't. Uh, I don't know that I expected us to play great. I'd like to see us be harder to play against. I think if you wanted to give Arteta credit, you could say that when he arrived, even if we didn't love the football aesthetically, he made us harder to play against. He made us harder to beat, and that's something. Now, he had to build on that with an attack that made us capable of winning. But what we seem to be now is very easy to play against. And you can say, well, that's because of the players. But I don't think so. I think the system now has lost its uh, its solidity, not just Aren't because of the players. Aren't we trying to be more progressive? Aren't we trying to kind of take – like it? here's my reading of yes, it. Yes, but right? now I think we, we, we've – We've wound up doing neither. You know what I mean, Paul? We had two shots. Even with the quote-unquote yeah, good yeah. 15 minutes, we had two shots in the first half, and we got monstered defensively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't I, – I'm not saying it's working. But, <laughs> okay. like, la- last year, uh, kind of in the second half of the season, we would have kept it compact. We would have sat a little deeper. We would have kept our shape. Like, we had the third-best defense in the league last season for the good and the bad part, not because we had great defenders or different defenders. We had the third best uh, defense because we kept our shape and we bored them into turning the ball over uh, and keeping the center compact. And now this year, it's kind of, it's preseason. It's the first couple of games. We're establishing our new, more progressive style. And that's why we didn't switch to a back three. Maybe maybe we would have done it with Ben White, but maybe it would have been a more progressive back three, kind of more Brighton style with Ben White uh, taking the ball, progressing us up the pitch. But without him, uh, Arteta was looked uh, was looking at playing a very defensive back three, back five, did not want in the first Emirates game of the season to be sitting back defending against Chelsea because that's small... Uh, small team mentality, wanted the team to play football. Uh, He probably knew we were screwed either way. We weren't going to get away with another uh, (laughs) sit back, hang on. And that's what, I'm not saying this is good, but this to me is why we did it this time and we didn't match up as we did in other times. It's the first home game of the season at the Emirates with the crowd back for the first time, kind of, in a long time. And so you play football and you play your style and you commit to it like Pep does. He changes his system every season and it maybe doesn't look too good in the first couple of games. But if you want your players to believe that's how you're playing, that's how you play. I think that's why we like uh, I don't disagree mm. with anything Clive said, but I think why does somebody do something really stupid? They don't do it to be stupid. They have a, rash- a rationalization that seems reasonable to them yeah of course that's the best one i can come up with because i would have like look we should have played three at the back regardless the the fact is that the reason for doing it is ultimately unimportant because no i no i think it's very important 
because uh, right, well, o- right. otherwise you lose faith the guy has any fucking clue what he's doing as opposed to he misread the room for this time of the season. No, I think it matters why. Mm. I, Clive? Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to realise, and we're talking about Lakonga, we're talking about Lukaku, we're talking about... What we talk about there is the outcome. That's the last That's the, the last thing we see. Oh my God, it's into our danger area. Why can't we stop that? But it started way sooner than that. So when you have three at the back, you have three defenders that cut, that stretch out wide and they cover the, the, the half spaces as well. So straight away, if our one attacker against them, they've got superiority there. So if you look at all the past combinations, it's all their back three players. So they've now got offensive confidence. They have their square block of two centimetres and two attacking mids. That means they've got an exit down the centre into their block. They've got an exit into the wide areas into their wing backs. And now they've got an exit of a hundred million pound centre forward if they got, if they're bored of going to the outsides. Do you see what I mean? So what we have is a problem that we need to get at source. And so those moments where we were like a little bit of a puppy dog and pressing them, that's when we had some success. Because what we should have done is match them up, have three forwards high and narrow, and that forces their wing backs back. They said we can't leave them one on one. We gotta come back. And that's how you shake a back three system. You don't give them comfort in possession. You don't give them build up. You don't allow them to feel the width of the pitch and dominate positionally. And that's what we did. And you now, see it in the first did, goal, don't you, Clive? I mean, yes. like we we've three, four players in the zone where Kovacic is receiving from Rudiger, and he kind of dances between the two of them and then has a clear channel through our non-screen. Like it, it, we have two lines where we can press or screen, and yeah. we use neither. See, I, I love a back three. I've I've, I've used it. I've had my most successful moments with it, and what it gives you. It's comfort you have the pitch covered. You have the interior and the exterior covered. And the only teams that worry you in that system is when it's one-on-one and they've got a, a wing-back that's faster than your wing-back or they've got a couple of forwards that are really stressing your centre-back. So you've got to change. You've got to adjust. And we didn't enough enough power on the pitch to make them adjust. We couldn't stop their build-up. I have never... I've barely ever watched a game where the other team has doubled the passes apart from when Messi turned up with Pep Guardiola and we were lucky to get five passes by halftime. I've just not seen this before. We didn't control the build-up. So everything else was a reaction to stress. Everything else was a reaction to stress. And then you're looking around for people who can manage that and they were not helped. They were yeah. not helped. I'm somebody that, you know, I don't like to criticise individuals. Apart from days where it's obvious, and, and we are, we this is not Arsenal Football Club, by the way. This is not our team, right? So we were not able to go and dominate in any in any in any area of the pitch. But I feel there was a better way to lose, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, a, I totally uh, agree with that. Yes, you could have been harder to, to play lose. even with those players. Yes, Just Clive, go. can I ask you then? Go ahead, because no, no, no. I, I, you're right near one of the really important topics, and you know it only. What is it, 41 minutes? That's good timing. Um, And that's the closing down. I think there has been one very clear area that I don't think Arteta has been good at as a coach. And I know that people will say it's the players or it's this and it's not him because it's always something else. But I think he's bad at coaching a press. 
I don't think he's ever shown that he organizationally really understands it or at a minimum can communicate it. Lee Dixon got really stuck into us on the U.S. broadcast about something you got stuck into us about on the Brentford rewatch, which is the closing down. Clive, it's like puppy dogs. One guy chases the ball and the other guys watch it. I'm looking at Cedric and he was like, he had the best seat in the house. He had a great view of the game, Cedric did. I have, look, if we're going to be honest, we're going to say Saka did a little bit as well. But just the extent to which one player chases and the other players, you, this is the thing about pressing. I'm not a coach. I'm not an analyst. So if you guys want to disagree with me, Clive, you can have the first shot at it. Pressing isn't just about going and getting the ball. It's cutting off the lanes. And so one guy would press the ball, but no one cut off the lanes. So it was easy to bypass. Like I... That is the part that drives me nuts, watching one guy chase after the ball while the other guys watch him do it. Like, do you have any explanation for that? <laughs> I must admit, I was more focused on the fact there was lots of green grass around there. And if there was any green grass, there were blue shirts standing in there alone and no red shirts anywhere near them. That's what I was focused on from where I was sitting. I think we have a problem here. And this is my worry. Because despite the fact we are cleaning house properly and really taking a risk with... No safety net football, in my opinion. We are cleaning house. But we're cleaning house. I, I worry if we're cleaning house the wrong way. Because, and I, and I know I have a bias for this. So guys, please keep me in order. But I feel we don't focus enough off the ball. We don't have enough off the ball players whose primary skill is, I'm going to come and get you. You can't come through here. You know how I feel about this stuff. I hate seeing a team dominate us like this. There's two teams that have dominated us. We look soft. We look soft. We look disorganized. We look open. And again, we we really do praise people. The first thing we say, Hulakonga's a good player. He's a good player. Cedric is technical in the last third. These guys, when they lose the ball, they haven't got a clue. Yeah, I They totally haven't agree. got mm-hmm. a clue. Shaka can't turn this game around. He can't physically go and get people. We haven't got a clue how to take the game back from people who have got it in their hands. So when we go 1-0 down, we don't come back. It's not in our team. And we're buying another number 10. You know, we get, he gets a big clap. And I'm sure when we've got it all together, it's going to be great. But we're buying these young players. But what base are we giving them to succeed? What platform are we giving them? What I know we've got players missing. But is it enough? We need to add more players that can hold up these young players. Otherwise, it is a dereliction of duty. And you have a duty of care to young players' careers. I joked about Ben White losing his hair, looking like Rob Holding, but it could happen real quick. It really could. Lukonga seems to be brave. Tavares seems to be brave. But we've all seen this before, haven't we? Young players that we've overburdened. And then we've lost them. And that's that's my worry. It's you can't do it with this many kids. And I know we got players to come back, but some of the old players to come back, are they the right glue for you to bring this team forward? I'm not sure. I think maybe the best solution for this season is for all of us to just start sniffing glue. Um uh, Tim, I got to bring you back in the podcast, but I absolutely have to sneak in an ad break here or I'm going to get yelled at by my superiors. Let's face it, most people are superior to me. The summer of soccer continues on Paramount Plus. They said soccer, just so we're clear. It's what's written here. Stream over 2,000 soccer matches a year from around the world. That's all the heart-pounding drama from CBS Sports, including UEFA Champions League, sigh, Europa League, heavy sigh, Italy's Serie A, Argentina's Primera División, 
the Brasileiro, NWSL, the Asian Football Confederation, and the CONCACAF qualifiers featuring the stars from the U.S. and Mexican's men's national teams. Plus, much more. It's the best of the beautiful game with all the beautiful names like Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Rapino. Be part of the excitement as champions are crowned and history is made. The world's game lives here on Paramount+. Plus. Visit ParamountPlus.com to start your free trial and stream every match live. Tim, you don't need to crack my Brasileiro. Brasileirão. Brasileirão. Ah, there it is. There it is. Um, well, let, let's touch on two topics together, Tim, uh, to, to get you your, your minutes back. You need to get some minutes in your legs or your vocal cords here. Um, one is, is this closing down. I'd be willing to bet if you took a screenshot of this match, any random screenshot where Chelsea had the ball, which would be most screenshots, let's be honest, and you looked at the 11 Arsenal players, probably nine of them would not be standing in any position to deny a pass or do anything that in, in, inhibits where the ball goes. I couldn't believe how often I would watch one guy chase the ball down, but looking at every other player, they have no way to deny the pass to the next available guy. Pressing isn't just about one guy running at you. It's about the other guys denying him access to his his teammates. And we just don't do that. I'm curious if you see that as uh, an energy and commitment issue, a, a tactical issue. Is it something you've seen before? Because I'm starting to develop one of my things I develop where this is starting to become a narrative for me that our players are not off the ball, positioned where they need mm. to be to, d- to deny the, the other players from accessing the passing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and we all know there, there are just players in our team that aren't two-way players as well. Whether it's because Arteta doesn't want them to press effectively or he doesn't think they can, that, that for me was the, the thing that kind of stung, I think, most about this game. Because there, there are caveats in terms of the players we had unavailable and everything like that. But on the most basic level, I couldn't really work out what the players had been sent out to do. And that's that kind of that always worries me when that happens. And and I think even just on like the most basic level, we know ever since Tuchel has been there, he's played with that back three and double pivot. And and that that really gives Chelsea something in build up because they've just got so many players like that it does make them pretty hard to press high up because they've just got five players there. And then they've got a couple of wing backs who, you know, they've got a couple of number 10s, great striker. You know, they, they've got two very firm departments of their team in terms of like five guys that are kind of always back. Um, not necessarily in a backs to the wall defending type. It's for build up. That's why they have that double pivot of, uh, you know, Jorginho and, and one of Conte or Kovacic, and, and it just helps them get out, and it, it does make them difficult to press. But just watching, like, Smith Rowe doing, like, doggy runs between them was really dispiriting, and you just think, mm-hmm. like, Chelsea have been playing like this ever since Tuchel's been there. So what was the plan there? Was the plan not to, like, if the plan was to not really try to stop um, Jorginho and Kovacic getting the ball, drop Smithrow back, have him as a third midfielder. Like there's big gaps there. Don't ask him to press them. Ask him to sit back. But he wasn't, I don't think, asked to sit back. And therefore he was trying to press like two guys at once who were just happily knocking the ball. Like that it was like um what do you call it? Foosball. Um, you know Conte uh, sorry Kovacic and Jorginho like you could have thrown like a blanket over them for most of the game because they just stay nice and close together and they commit people you know it's matador football it's kind of wave the red rag Smithrow comes in thank you very much I'll just knock it to him five yards over there and we're out 
And so that that was what was really, really dispiriting to me that I couldn't work out on the most fundamental level. Like, you know, forget all like the tactical intricacies. I, I was like, have we been sent to press? Have we been sent to sit back and play on the counter? Are we supposed to be taking the game to them and we can't do it? Like, I couldn't work out like the just the basic fundamental emphasis of the game. And I just felt... And again, I guess just talking about like the the how how strong Chelsea were on the right, and and again how predictable we were on the left. And I was thinking about you know the cup final when Reese James started the cup final, and he got murdered. He got absolutely murdered. And the reason he got murdered was we were playing Maitland Niles at left wing back, and Maitland Niles gave him something to think about with his off the ball movement because he kept running in field. Mm-hmm. And James didn't know whether to follow him. And so he followed him and he left Abamyang and Abamyang isolated as Pelaqueta. And there were clever movements like that. And that, again, maybe it's just down to like key personnel not being available. But I was looking at it and I was thinking, I don't know what our off the ball plan is. And I don't know what our on the ball plan is either. Like when we get the ball. I, like I don't see what we're really trying to do, and and one of the weirdly one of the moments in the game that I kind of found quite dispiriting was uh, you know Tierney had that kind of um, run, and and this isn't a criticism of Tierney at all. By Ch- the way, chasing down the last cars, down yeah, the left line. yeah, exactly, and and that really got the crowd up, and I was thinking like, fuck me, like this is really like what it's come to <laughs> yeah exactly that that's when you know it's it's gotten a bit and and the reason the crowd responds to that i mean of course it's like blood and thunder and he's trying and he's closing people down and and incidentally it probably injured him um, doing that because he went off a couple of minutes later but it's that kind of well there's something i can see that we tried to do <laughs> even if it was the left back being left to try and run the ball 60 yards down the flank. Like that's why it was so flat kind of inside the ground. Like the the supporters really wanted to get behind this and everyone was really happy to be back, but there just, there just wasn't enough to get behind. And it's because I don't think we could see what we were trying to do. Yeah. And I got, I got to say, I think the theory of the attack from Arteta doesn't make sense to me. I think the left side is supposed to be an overload with Saka and Tierney and the right side, Pepe and, uh, Smith Rowe, who drifts over there, and then Martinelli running into the box by himself. It leaves so much distance between where the ball is and where the box is and where the players need to get the ball to, so that even when you get it into the attacking third, you're nowhere near being in the dangerous part of the attacking third, and there's no one to combine with. You know, Paul, I, th- I thought the first 15 minutes were a lot of fun, maybe the first 20, because we were contesting the match and we were countering at speed. And then you look and you're like, we have zero shots. We finished the first half with two shots. And I regarded that 20 minutes as a lot of fun. Now, to be fair, the game turns in about a two-minute period where Pepe has a beautiful play up the right side, gets it to Saka. Saka's in space. He's got Pepe and, I want to say, Martinelli in the box available. Maybe it's Smith Rowe, Martinelli, I don't know. Uh, And he... He sort of takes an extra touch. He slips a tiny bit. The touch is heavy, and he just gives the ball right back to Chelsea. It's a really ugly moment from a player who just, let's say it, he just had a bad game. Like the, We love Bukayo Saka. You can say he had a bad game. He had a bad game. And then two minutes later, Chelsea have scored, and the game is never the same. I, I don't, I'm, I'm willing to give the attack a little bit of a break today because no one's hurt Tuchel's Chelsea that much, and we had three 20-year-olds in the front four, so, so be it. But, I think 
you know, I, I think the way we try to attack is a little bit questionable. So, you, you know, for you, without wanting to go too much into, you know, the players right now available, what it is, do you see anything about the way we we tried to attack Chelsea that, you know, you can draw any encouragement from or draw any criticism for? I, I, I still... I still find that when you look at Arsenal, Paul, and you say, oh, that was a good period, and then you look at what we actually created from that, quote, good period, it still tends to not ever result in as much chance to score an actual goal as the as the aesthetic quality of it, if that makes sense. It does. Um, worry. Uh, our best play is kind of the carry, the build into the final third, into and around the box. Uh but we lack a couple of things in terms of inside the box, a center forward or an attacking forward who convinces right, right in the thick of things. I mean, Chelsea ha- are playing with three at the back. You're not going to find yourself with a lot of space when you get into the box. Yeah, that's true. Um, be nice if we had a close approximation to Lukaku, uh, but at least somebody who likes being the rough and tumble you know Danny Ings likes being in the middle of that shit uh, we don't have a center forward who likes to be in the middle of the box uh, tussling making the space etc um, now they all have their days and there are other ways of getting goals but certainly in those uh, given the amount of build up we can have on both sides hopefully we get Odegaard here cranking pretty soon and he'll start uh, that's basically the answer for what we're missing right now. Uh, there are other ways to attack, but we've only found one that really strung together the attack, which was when Odegaard was on his perch over to the right, pulling strings, telling Pepe where to go, get an overlapping fullback uh, and construct something because nothing was constructed here. There'll be a nice piece of play, get us into in and around the edge of the box. You know, our best... Chance was the penalty that Saka didn't get, uh, but if he, so you kind of feel you're lost out on something there. On the other hand, it was never exactly going to turn into a goal-scoring opportunity, and we we had so few of those. I guess the other one was the holding uh, set-piece corner where he gets a really nice header and really should have got it the other side of the post. We have to take our chances, right? Like where we are right now and up against a Chelsea, you need the penalty, you need that header to go in, and then you're somehow saying, how did we draw 2-2 with Chelsea in this game? Sure. But in terms of a constructed passage of play where we play nicely up the pitch and don't get pushed out of the corner flags, we didn't really have too many of those which brought us up the center of the pitch or came up the side and then into the center of the pitch. There's no connective piece for the middle and... It's partly personnel. I mean, Smith-Rowe's great, but to tell me that it, it's him or Odegaard, they do different things, and Smith-Rowe is not yet the guy who will construct the play into the box and bring in other players. Um, but then our, I think the way we play does is not conducive. It, it's conducive to ending up with something like the horseshoe. We'll end up uh, playing into the corners, and not having the player who can connect the middle, not having that player sitting on sitting in that spot that Ozil would at his best, that Odegaard would to find the center forward, to find the uh, on-running, incoming player. Uh, we've got really got nothing about us in and around the box right now. Do you think, Paul, that like we 
one of the things that just we have to think of right now, especially in games like this, Arsenal can't play from behind. I think we've trailed at halftime something like 15 times in the league under Arteta, and we've managed four draws and the rest are losses. I, I think given the way the attack struggles, we need the other team to have to come out a little more to give us space to play into. But if we give them something to hold on to and we have to come out a bit, it all sort of falls apart. So do you think some of this is we were in the game, we look pretty frisky, they get the opening goal, and once that happens, everything about how we want to play and the structure of what we want to do just just falls apart. Yeah, and especially at the moment because we struggle to score goals. And so... Uh, so you noticed. <laughs> yeah, so variance is a bitch. Uh, if we get the first goal, right, it's on. But if they get the first goal and we struggle to score from open play, and I mean, let's be honest, we we struggled against Brentford. Now, now there were many extenuating circumstances for Brentford. I really feel... Maybe I was a little harsh on us when you understand all the background stuff. And it's not super surprising we struggled against Chelsea, but we had such, like, we had plenty of good play going into the final third uh, that turned to nothing. And we just don't create actual chances at the moment. Uh, so you don't get that first goal and your arsenal, uh, you're kind of screwed. I mean, we were, we were miles away from getting a goal that, that, even this up it would have had to have been a, a, a set piece corner header or a penalty because it wasn't going to come by natural means mm. well let's do this we're going to go for a little bit longer here but uh paul has to run um yeah right about now so paul's on twitter pause my pants thanks pause Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. hey do not uh close your browser my friend okay yeah thanks so um clive i think one of the things that we have to start to do, though, is look ahead a little bit. This game was always going to be hard. It came at a bad time. Players were missing the system, I think, as a result, suffered. Players are going to come back. We'll get Odegaard. We'll get Aubameyang. We'll get Thomas Partey eventually. Ben White will come back. We do lose Tierney. We can come on to that. But that right-back situation, that that's one that, I, before we move forward and look ahead, that I want to just touch on with you. How do you make heads or tails of this? Because Cedric, I mean, was basically deemed not usable against Brentford, not usable most of last season. Chambers has a bit of a struggle. And now he's starting against Chelsea and performing like you'd expect. Switched off, not clued in, not really doing anything of any value. On their first goal, I don't know what kind of line he's holding. Everyone's playing in front of him. He can see the whole thing and he's a yard behind the line. Do you have any way it makes sense of the right-back situation? Because to me, that that looks like one where the manager has four options that he doesn't love, and he's going to have to figure out one way or the other one of them. I, I don't think this can be a rotating uh, lazy Susan of disaster all season long where he just picks the next worst right-back. Doesn't he have to sort of settle on a guy and realize none of them are perfect? Yeah, he does. But how does he do it when he's got four sitting there? He's, he's going to maybe not pick two. I mean, it's... It's just too much, right? We are waiting for sales, aren't we? Let's be honest. Um, it's a position we thought we could get away with. and But since Ben White's come in, I've, I've just changed my opinion completely because he needs some help there. He needs some technical help or physical help. He needs something there. He needs Gabriel there. He needs Well, and, and I'll add, by the way, Brighton fans say he really thrived when, uh, what's his name, was there on the right? Um, Lamptey. Lamptey. Yeah, that he really yeah. thrived with Lamptey. And, I, and I've thought about this, and I've I've maybe gone away from my centre-half style right back, um, just quicker than Chambers. 
I, I want something more powerful and somebody that makes people adjust to them, not somebody they just literally ignore and just run past. And that's what happened in too many zones of the pitch for us. And Cedric has no presence. He has no presence going either way. And Callum Chambers has presence, but I don't think he's in the best of shape at the moment. And he, he had a bit of a rough game against um, Brentford. But I'm hoping maybe maybe that was illness or fitness. I don't know, but he was he was poor. Hector struggled for a while. His heads are elsewhere. And Ainsley needs to get, find himself a full left mirror to work out what he actually is. Right, and because he could have been somebody, but now he's just blown it. Everyone's lost patience with him, so we need to do something there. But I just don't see it happening without a sale. And it's a—I think it's a very important position because we are so lopsided. We have our seventy million pound winger up ahead that we know we can't always connect to. When we, you know, I saw a video go around about him today, and I thought that looks interesting. But I also thought when I watched the game, I was thinking, mate, could you work a bit harder? You know what I mean? So when you clip him up and see the work that he does, I'm thinking, yeah, he looks quite nice. And he was our hope. Maybe I was a bit unfair, but in the game I was thinking, you're not working hard enough. You need to work harder. But maybe that's because he was the only one we had, so I'm not I'm not so sure. But that whole side just looks redundant to me, and it has done for a while. And when Odegaard comes in, um, he seems to make it work because he's quite secure on the ball. And he people can move a bit quicker and earlier, because I know he's going to keep it and then move it. Um, Smith-Rowe does nice, bright stuff, and the highlight for me is when he trapped it in the box and got that blocked shot. I thought it's great skill. But I, again, I think he's, um, at the moment, he's too much to do for a kid of his age. He he's trying. Be. I'll give him that. He's everywhere. He's trying. <laughs> he's trying his absolute heart out, and you see him dropping his head. Again, it comes back to overburdening them. I don't, you know, we can't do it, right? So... Yes, we need a six-foot Lamptey. That's what we need. Um, that can really have presence there and create create something for Ben White to play with so he's not always facing against two people. He can literally think, well, you've got to deal with him and now I can look after my area. We haven't got enough of those players that can do their job at the moment. We need people that can do their job and half the next person's job, and we just we just not. And I'm doing this. With, and I don't like doing this podcast today because this is this is not the team we're going to see, you know. And um, well, I hope not, you know, because if it is, we're in for a rough year, a really rough year. But there's so many things that are not correct. Although I'm disappointed with the tactical approach from the manager in this game, I'm actually giving the players a break because I think they were let down, and I think this is not the true team. And we're just going to have to hold on to Norwich. However, if we go 1-0 down against Norwich, there'll be a few red seats flying onto the pitch. You know, I think the crowd yeah. will wait. They will wait. I they know what's going on. Than that, Clive. Yeah, there are a few um, red seats will fly onto the pitch, I'll tell you that. Well, and, and this is the thing, right? You look at the attack out there, 20-year-old Saka and 20-year-old Martinelli and 20-year-old Smith Rowe. They're great players who I think will be great. <clears throat> I really do. But... Asking all three of them to get it done against the champions of Europe, that's a little bit of you know where we're at right now. And I think, why do we talk about squad building? Why does squad building matter? Because your other attackers are 32-year-old William, 32-year-old Aubameyang, 31-year-old Lacazette. And when you don't have them, you have 19-year-old Balogun and 20-year-old Martinelli and 20-year-old Smith-Rowe and 20-year-old Saka. And that's, that's not the progression you want. That's not where you want to be. That's not where you want to be at all. 
And, you know, you look at Mason Mount. Look at the team he gets to break into. Look at the team Trent Alexander-Arnold got to break into. Look at the team that Phil Foden gets to break into. Look at the team Mason Greenwood gets to break into. You know, look at the team Seth Fabregas got to break into. That's how you thrive. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, look, you can point to the United class of, what is it, 92? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Was it 92? Yeah. Right? Yeah, right, yeah. Um, you know, they all came through together, sure. Different time in football. But I think, can Saka go out there with Pepe and Aubameyang and Odegaard and look pretty good? He can. Can Martinelli go out there with Aubameyang and Pepe and, you know, and, and look pretty good? Maybe. Can they all do it together against the Champions of Europe? I think it's asking too much. So I, I've gone a little easy on the attack today. I think Saka had a bad game. He's just back. Not fit. It's a big spot. Not fit. Weird system. What's his role? I don't know. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm inclined. The class of 92, Elliot, they, they had Keane and they had, was it Bruce Pallister? They had proper, they had Ince. They had, you know, they had proper men, mate. Erwin. Erwin, thank you, Tim. Yeah, so. I, and look at, this is what I keep saying. Look at our glue players. Look at them in the eye and say, can they do it? Yeah, I mean, it's our glue players are Shaka. Our glue players are Tierney, I guess, although he's not fit enough to be that regularly. Do we have a glue player in the center back? It's a 23-year-old we just signed to convert from a back three to a back four. So it it all feels a little bit shaky. And the guy who should probably be the glue, Aubameyang, 32. Tim, I want to ask you about this. I I don't know who this helps when we have signed this guy to a huge deal last summer and now the manager is saying he might be declining and the press is being briefed that we'd be happy to sell. I yeah. don't it just doesn't make any sense. Look, I I didn't want Aubameyang re-signed even though I love him. I still think he can be excellent. I still think he could have a 20 goal season. I don't think he's done, but I don't think we're helping ourselves. Can you explain to me the mindset? I mean, no one wants this guy on 300 grand a week right now. I can't imagine, or 250, whatever it is. So who are we benefiting, briefing the press that we're willing to sell and saying that he might be declining? I don't I don't know. Like, does Arteta need to learn the arm around the shoulder method of yeah. management, maybe? You know? Like, yep. I, yes, I absolutely think so. Because I saw that today and I thought, what? Like, what? What? Because no one's taking him, like in this market or any market. No, no one's taking him. And you maybe Barcelona the when they had money because they're stupid, but they don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you made the decision to sign. Like you have to make this work. This isn't like something you inherited. Like you chose this. And with the signing of Erdgaard, like I, I think we, well, you know, potentially the team's taken like a step towards Abamyang. And you look at it and think, okay, Smith Rowe, Saka, Erdgaard behind Abamyang. That that helps him more, and that makes a lot of sense because he's one of our best players. And you, you know get the best out of him but as you know i've already spoken about the the ridiculous comments about whether he's declining or or, or sorry the rid- ridiculous answer from arteta about that but the briefing thing is like what like who is this helping and it, it really does seem like um like a real scorched earth policy that that arteta is developing in terms of man management which is just for, for me it's just weird like you can do that in man city you can you can burn one player and, you know, let them go and just buy another one. You can't do that, Arsenal. You absolutely can't do it. And particularly when it's a player you've signed up, like you chose to give him, you know, you signed off on that. So this is like, this is... And the guy who's got to score your goals, right? This isn't isn't your right back. You know, I'm not saying right back isn't important, but it's the striker. It's your guy. The captain, you know, (laughs) it's it's just, it's, it's very, very odd. And I really, really worry about it because... Like for me, Abamyang looks to me like 
the guy who needs the arm around the shoulder. Yeah. Certainly yeah. at the moment, it looks to me like um, like he came on yesterday and for the first couple of minutes that he was on, it looked like someone had lit the fire under his ass. Like he was challenging for everything and and you know, and it's just like we've got to keep this guy engaged wherever you think the fault lines are, and you know whether you think that a highly paid professional athlete should need an arm around the shoulder, except like none of that matters. Like you've got to do it, you've got to do it, you've got to bring this guy back into the fold. And doing this, like I, I really, really don't understand who it serves because he's not going to go anywhere. So you've got to make it work, and if you don't. It will probably cost you your job. I think it's that simple. Arsenal cannot and will not have a good season unless Aubameyang has a good season. That simple. So doing this, to me, yeah, he, hurts that. He inherited the Mesodozal situation, but he signed off on, presumably, the Aubameyang one. So very different in that respect. And can't not. And I'm not saying that, that they're analogous or that they're going down the same path yet, but you can't, you can't have that. Uh, Clive, I want to let you weigh in on this. I'll just make the point also that, like, I do think... Maybe Lacazette missing here is a bigger factor than we think. Arsenal miss a focal point. But I, I saw a great tweet that I think is kind of funny that said basically what Lukaku's doing for Chelsea today is what Arsenal fans imagine Lacazette does. And I get it, right? I, I think we want Lacazette to kind of do some of that, but he's not that player. And, I, you know, I, I think we are in a bind in the sense that Aubameyang's a better goal scorer than Lacazette, but Lacazette's the only focal point we have. And we just look so bereft in the middle when he's not there but he's not good enough. And it all just, you can twist your brain into a pretzel trying to figure out that that problem. I mean, Clive, where, where do you stand on the Aubameyang thing? Because he's back fit now. Uh, he played, he looked, you know, okay up for it. Not that he really did any damage. He was in behind once and I think Mendy did a really nice job to cut it out. Uh, we could come on to the goalkeepers if we want to because I think Burton Leno deserves some credit because 2-0 to the European champions with a bunch of players missing, you can tolerate it. But if yeah. not for Leno... This could have been 4-0. It could have been worse this day. This this had some warning signs flashing, you know, about halfway through. So maybe we did get a little fortunate there. But do you think do you think that the the club and, and the coach and the star striker all have to get on the same page quick? Yeah, I, I do. And yeah, Leno does deserve some praise. And I felt that Chelsea underachieved that yeah. the day. Well, the then, XG, yeah. it was 3.1 to 0.5. I mean, yeah. we got the better outcome there, yeah. yeah they underachieved. And so maybe a slightly bigger point here, and it's just a, a feeling that you get, right? So uh, it's just something something that happens in your life. We all we all have those people that we know that when we see them, we feel energized, right? So, and there are some people that you know that when you see them, you feel drained. And I'm starting to look at Arteta, and I'm thinking, you're you're draining, you're draining us, you're you're not lifting us. I know you've been unfortunate. I know you've been unlucky. I know you had your first job and it's been crazy. The world is upside down. But you need to find a way to lift people. You're the manager. You need to lift people. And he may be waiting until Norwich and he has no other choice given illness and sickness. This is a general thing. Things that are seen in press conferences, I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, would I want to follow him? Is he lifting me or is he a drainer? Is he too detailed? Is he in the washing machine? You know, I've had this feeling before towards Emery, end of Emery, and I, and I felt sometimes it's not what someone's doing, it's how you feel about them. You know, and that's how I tend to make my judgments because we can all critique a substitution and a, and a, a selection and a tactic and, oh, I think you should play 3-5-2. Well, 
who, who am I when it comes down to it? When I'm there, I, I can feel it. And I'm wondering if he's draining some of these players. It's going to be so interesting to see the reaction of the players around him, to see if they if they come out and say, look, we know where we are. We've got work to do. Are we building to a time where we're going to come back? Is inside the Arsenal family really tight? You know, Tim's been around that training ground. He knows what I mean when I talk about inside that ground. Is it tight? It has to be tight. They have to be together. I'm looking for these signals, I'm afraid, Elliot. And what we look for is the manifestation of these man management actions. And Aubameyang is one of them. You know, there's also a list of players that have signed contracts to support what he's doing. So at some point, very, very soon, in the next two to three weeks, we need to see something that says, this is my group. I'm in control of them. I'm lifting them. I'm not draining them. And I need to lift the support to come with me on this journey. He's got a lot to do in the next six weeks. Well, that leads me to the question that I want to sort of finish on. But before I do, you ever feel like you're being followed around the internet? Maybe you're looking at stuff you don't want anyone to know about. You just don't want that information out there. Like, maybe you've been looking up how to become a Manchester City fan. You want to keep that keep that on the down low. Maybe advertisers know too much about you. Well, our new sponsor, IP Vanish VPN, is here to help you take back your privacy and help you become anonymous on the internet. So what is IP Vanish? Well, IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is an important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computers, tablets, phones, even things like a fire stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. And look, if you're looking for streams, you know, you need to be using a VPN. Like, it's just that simple. Or that you get that message that says, this content cannot be displayed in your region. You need a VPN. That's all you need. That's important because what you're doing on the internet is no one's business but yours. For listeners of this show, which, by the way, is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast, IP Vanish is offering an incredible 65% off their annual plan. That can't be right, but that's what's written here. 65% off their annual plan equal to six months free. Like six months free of a lot of things, but you can get six months free from IP Vanish. Super easy to use. You turn it on with the click of a button and it runs seamlessly in the background, helping protect you while you're browsing the web. And if you do run into a problem, IP Vanish has 24 7 support available by email, chat, and telephone. So go to ipvanish.com, ipvanish.com forward slash vision, ipvanish.com forward slash vision. Claim your 65% savings. Their annual plan is just $44.99 for the first year with our exclusive discount. This is the time to sign up with our discount and their current promotion. You can get 65% off the VPN from their usual offering. IP Vanish is the best of the best. It's even rated 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot, and that's with more than 6,000 reviews. That's ipvanish.com forward slash vision. Go there now. Start protecting yourself online. I think we need to probably protect ourselves online. A lot of lunatics out there, let's be honest. So, Tim, ordinarily, you know me, right? I, Clive, it drives him nuts. Is there anything I'm more annoying about other than age cliffs than rotation? <laughs> oh, rotate. You got to rest him. Don't overplay him. Rotate, 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 rotate. Right? I'm, I'm a big rotate monster. But, Tim, I, I'm going to surprise you here. I think Arteta has to put out the strongest side he can against West Brom and win that game. So, it's the second round of the League Cup. It does not matter. Right? But we have a two-week international break coming up after City. We have no midweek football this season. And... We're going to lose to Manchester City and Manchester. We should probably assume that. Now, you may not want to be that fatalistic. I'm willing to be. And I think it could potentially be bad. Now, thankfully, some of the matchups between Arteta and Pep have been highly tactical, and they wind up being boring one nils, which I would take, by the way. But I think given that we're probably going to be staring zero points and zero goals through three games in the Premier League in the face going into the international break, 
People are going to need a crumb of something to say it's going to get better. People can write off the Chelsea game and the City game to some extent, and players were missing. But if we go to West Brom and don't score any goals there, don't win that game, it's going to be harder for anyone to convince themselves. So, look, if you're Arsene Wenger, you've been here 22 years, and you're in a losing streak, and you lose a League Cup game, you can probably skate away. But in the situation Arteta's in, I, I think he has to look at this as a chance to get a, just a little bit of positivity back into the players, into the fan base, get some goals, show that this system, that his system is still viable because it's probably not going to look that way at Manchester City. So are you prepared to come around to the idea that a second round League Cup tie can matter and be beneficial? Or is that just fan think and the manager can't afford to think like a fan? Um, no, I, I think it is important. I mean, look, we've got one, I mean, as, as much as, you know, we talk about not being in Europe in terms of prestige and financial. It's also one less trophy we can win because um, the Europa League is, is you point, know, yeah. a winnable trophy. Yeah. So th- there's really only two that we can win this season. And this is one of them. Um, and like you say, we haven't got any other midweek football this year. So <clears throat> we might as well go for this. I, I still think, I do think the team will be stronger slightly than it would have been had we had any points out of the first couple of games, but not much. Like, I'm still expecting to see, like, Ramsdale um, starting goal, for instance. He might use it to have a look at a couple of players like that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure what kind of shape Lacazette's in. Apparently, he was in the stadium on Sunday. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of him or Aubameyang. Um, I, I definitely think that Aubameyang will be in the squad. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can't really see, like, I think he'll rest like Granite Xhaka, for example, like Elneny will play instead of Xhaka and Xhaka will get his rest. And it looks like Tien is probably injured anyway. Um, and then after that, to be honest, and, and like I reckon Erdegaard might play um, as well and Smithrow will get his rest. I, I don't think Saka will play that, you know, it'll probably be like Martinelli and Pepe wide or something like that. So, I think there'll be a few changes, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't see it being completely turned over. And the other interesting thing about this game, when you try and think through, like, well, what would a second string lineup look like anyway? It's actually really difficult because a lot of our second stringers um, might be going in the next couple of days. And so, does he want to play Reese Nelson anyway? Does he want to play Maitland Niles and potentially scupper moves for them? Probably not. So I think he'll only really want to play players that are definitely going to be staying. And that rules out some of those kind of second string players anyway. So I, I short answer, I, I do think he'll he'll mix it up a bit. And at centre-half, he doesn't really have any choices because we're playing our third and fourth choice anyway because the first two choices are, are not available. So he, there's some areas he doesn't really have room for rotation. There's some areas where, you know, he could justify playing a Bamiang uh, and or Lacazette if he's well enough, um, for example. So I I do expect it to be a fairly strong team. And also I'm not sure like West Brom will be going for promotion this year. I'm I'm not sure they'll be that fussed about this. I reckon they'll pro- probably play a second string team. That would be helpful. I I uh, was direct messaging with Dom and he said, look, they play direct. They press like crazy. They're good at set pieces. And was literally getting hives as he was talking to me. Uh, but Clive, like, I just, I think that the fan base is actually more patient than people give us credit for. I think that we're willing yep. to accept that players have been missing, that these games have been hard. There's been a lot of jokes about, oh, this is preseason. The season starts after the international break. But frankly, 
I think people are open to that if we can get a, on a good run after that. But where I think it'll be hard is if we go to the, the Hawthorns and and don't score a goal again, and then people are like, well, is it really? I, I don't know. I mean, I may, I may be overthinking this because it's where my head's at, but I think one of the things the group stages of the Europa League did for us last season is give you a chance to restore a little goodwill, a little good feeling after a, a tough game at the weekend. And we're wedged between two of the toughest you'll have all season. So this feels like an opportunity. Yeah. Again, I'll ask you the same question I asked him. Does a coach have to tune that noise out or is it important? I think those Europa League games, they were quite uplifting for us, weren't they? Particularly in that pre-Christmas period because the Sunday league games were, were shocking. But we'd bring in a bunch of young players and do quite well. <laughs> but those young players are playing. Right? So uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue, right? So I'm not sure which way he's going to go. He needs to win simple as that we need to win we need to see our team win you know and when we do we can we can then maybe accept the weekend we know what's coming but i I said it before and i didn't get a lot of praise for it i don't care about getting praise but i got a lot of stick for it if anything the season didn't start till after the window shut and as soon as that brentford game went wrong as soon as the lunchtime came through with that message from david ornstein saying our two forwards are out there's covid in the camp I thought, oh my goodness, we got a problem. That was the points that we we should ne- we would not drop those points if we played Brentford away at Christmas. We'd, we'd probably win the game. Playing them in their first game, that was the miss. Chelsea, wrong time to play them. Cock a hoop. Expected City. They've lost. They've lost three points ready to Spurs. They're not going to drop any more to us. Um, we know what's coming. So. This needs a level of patience. I'm afraid some people are just not up for it. They're not up for it at all. They've made their bed. They want this manager changed. They want things to change. They're not waiting. If anything, we've gone further into bed with him because we have now a youth project of which he is deemed to be the person to coach them to the next level. I'm thinking that maybe we've gone Arteta agnostic because these players could play for anybody now. And if anything, I'd like to see more of the older players, the ones that are too old, go and certain links be cut. And if we're going to rip this bandage, let's rip it. Let's rip it now. And if it costs people, it costs people. Let's rip it now and rebuild this club properly. I think, you know, there's a song we sing to Chelsea um, called Shit Club No History. We're actually singing it to ourselves on the weekend with Gallows Humour in the North Bank. And that's something I never thought I'd hear, you know, and uh, it is where we are. People are laughing at some stages just to get over it. But I get this feeling there's an explosion around the corner and you go one of either ways because there are, I'm glad Tim agreed to me that fans are ready to support because I felt that too. You go one of two ways, right? If it does work out well and in the month of September, you could see a real uplift because there are some things that are likable, but... You can't see him at the moment when you're looking at zero points after three games. Yeah, and I mean, it is possible to contextualize why we're in the situation we're in, to understand that it's been made worse by absences we have no control over, and to still feel terrible about it. Like, I I don't mind policing bad opinions. I don't mind trying to wrestle people into accepting reasoned analysis. I don't love policing feelings. And I think 
you have to have some perspective on you know why the Chelsea game played out the way it did, for example. I think you can also point fingers at, at some tactical challenges. Tim, I'll finish with this. Setting the League Cup game aside, it looks like Tierney's now out, right? Do we have any update on Tierney? No, none that I've seen. Mm. I assume he'll be out for, for City then, right? I mean, I can't imagine he's had to leave the pitch. He had a groin issue. That's not going to heal in two days. So No, yeah. So I assume he'll miss City. And so it, you know, I I, I assume Ben White will be back, but you're getting Tavares. Who's, no, he won't be back? Apparently no. not, yeah. Super. So you're looking at Marie, Holding, Cedric, Tavares against the best attacking team in England, one of the best attacking teams in the world, and one of the most positionally intelligent teams. Um, you know, a midfield that once again will have an inexperienced kid coming over from the Belgian league and Shaka, and then a front line that hopefully will have Aubameyang in it and, and a couple of young players. And it, it just looks, I think back to the team we took to Old Trafford for the eight, two on the eve of the transfer deadline and the trolley dash that followed. And I'm not saying it's going to be eight, two against city and who knows, maybe we'll go win it. Hope springs eternal, but Tim, do you get some of those vibes of a team it's been shorn of quality, missing important players, a little too young, a little short on talent in places where it can be exploited. I feel like we will be walking into a lion's den in that game. Do we have to steal ourselves for the fact that that one might be painful and we're just going to have to, like a shot, get it over with, get past it, and look till after the inner low for the season to start in earnest? Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't, maybe famous last words, I, I don't think we're going to get, thump- I think it's going to be our regulation 3-0, 3-1, something like that. Um, I, I'm just like, we've had the Lukaku debut. We've got that out of the way. I'm just glad it doesn't look like we're going to be getting the Harry Kane debut because that would have been really, really painful. And by the way, if Man City don't get that transfer done, you're not winning the league, um, <laughs> quite frankly. So you need to get that transfer done because Chelsea have just bought a really, really good striker and they're going to win the league if you don't. Um, but don't do it before Saturday, just to be clear. So, I, I honestly, I think it will be. I think it will be the regulation, maybe a bit like this game was, where Chelsea kind of called it off at two 0 or at least they thought, well, we'll sit back, we'll play on the break, but we don't need to. We don't need to like exert ourselves here. I kind of think that's what will happen. We'll be two 0 down at half time. City might get another one in the second half, but really they'll play at half pace. We might get a consolation. Life goes on. Um, but in many ways, that will be frustrating because that's that will be it will be exactly the same Man City defeat we've seen six or seven times before, I think. And, and yeah, absolutely. I, I do think we've got to steal ourselves um, for that. And I do think that of the three opening games, this was the one with the lowest expectation. And, and I think rightly so. I think... Home to Chelsea, having beaten them a couple of times last season, albeit without Lukaku, London derby at home, soft factor, soft factor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can kind of talk yourself into maybe, maybe we can win this or draw this. I mean, City away, yawn, a gigantic <laughs> yawn, uh, quite frankly. But, but yeah, I, I think ultimately this is just another one. We're, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to suck it up. But to be honest, I do, I do get the impression most people are prepared for that. Yeah, I and I I think much like the Chelsea game, but maybe worse, saying we're prepared for it and then keeping a level head depending on what happens are two different things. Clive, let's get out of here, but I'll just ask you this. Do you do you think it is ever acceptable to take that approach going into a game to think 
we're probably going to get turned over by City and it's okay, we move on. Like, I, I, you know, it seems sort of old school to be like, we're Arsenal Football Club, it's never acceptable, but you you can fight with reality or you can accept it, you know? Yeah, this is all about acceptance. You know, I, I've sat here for two years or so and we've spoken about rebuild, renewal, this squad needs change. We've tried a way of doing it. So I can't say, you know, I can't see it and say, well, I don't quite like how you're doing it. Otherwise, I don't quite like how it's being done so far. I think it's one or two, maybe three or four pieces that are still missing. But we've done quite a lot so far, and there's still a couple of weeks to go. I just like to see a little bit more solidity, things to allow people to develop, um, acceptance of where Arsenal are. Some people don't accept it. They refuse to accept it. Um, and I can't tell people how to to be a fan and what they see. They're looking around thinking, what's the quickest way for us to feel better? And some people say you can change the manager rather than the players, change the ownership, whatever it is. People that go through their own grief. We've got a bit more coming, you know, but I'm pleased we're doing something. I just hope it's the right thing. And I hope the pace by which we do it allows these people to develop their careers. The players I'm thinking about here, because I care about these young players more it's important we look after them. That's the most important thing to me. Rebuilding of the badge, rebuilding of our of our position in the game. At the moment, it feels really low. We're being laughed at, and there's a little bit more to come. As I keep saying, I'm just holding out for Norwich. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, nobody wants to hear the season starts after the interlow. I like. I get that. That sucks. But it's where we're at right now, and I, I think if you were in a hurry for someone to say Arteta out, he's the worst. You're going to get your wish because people are going to judge him on those first four, five, six games after the interlow. And if you're saying, why are people being so harsh? We played two of the, you know, we played great teams. We're playing great teams with, with none of our players available and we're super unlucky. I have sympathy for that too. And you're going to get your chance to see if it all goes right after the interlow when we get some players back and we have some easier games. So one way or another, the, the clock is ticking. The time for real conclusion drawing isn't too far away in my view. But I think, for the next week, I'd love to see us just restore a little good feeling against West Brom and then, you know, get get through the city game like a medical procedure. And who knows? Hope springs eternal. You, you never know. I mean, we beat City to win an FA Cup. Anything can happen. Let's leave it there. It was a cheery one. I'm sorry that it can't be a little more fun, but we'll try to make it a little more lighthearted. We'll have a... a, a What's it called? Premier League. That's the thing. Premier League Roundup for patrons this week. Analytics pod for patrons. Rewatch and then a full pod uh, Thursday, which will wind up being a post-match pod, I guess. And try to do a live stream before the West Brom game. So still plenty of stuff to come where we can ship. Those live streams are always fun. They usually precede calamity, but that's another story altogether. Clive's on Twitter. Clive, you have then Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Somebody thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, if you could vote for us in the FCAs, we'd really uh, appreciate it. All you have to do, go to my pinned tweet, click the link and hit tweet, or you can go to their website and just vote for us and, and certainly vote for Tim as well for uh, best content creator for women's football. That'll do it. We love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Brom nil. 